This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, historians, and others barely acknowledged by the mainstream media. I'll be your host, Taj. Today, I'm talking with Brandon Weber about his insightful book titled Class War USA, Dispatches from Workers' Struggles in American History. Class War USA is a rich collection of stories about ordinary people who resisted oppression and exploitation against all odds. Brandon Weber's succinct and vivid essays capture crucial moments of struggles when working class people built movements of hope and defiance. From the mines to the factories to the fields, Weber shares experiences of the real-life men and women who organized, historically resisted, and battled the bosses and corrupt politicians. Class War USA is an invaluable tool for learning the lessons of grassroots struggle and is the perfect counter-narrative to the myth that change comes only from the top. Brandon Weber has written for the progressive, upworthy, Big Think, and many other online publications, and has been a union activist for over 30 years. He has also written for the Progressive Magazine, Common Dreams, Good Is, and Liberals Unite. Brandon Weber, welcome to Books, Beats, and Beyond. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you. So what is it about your life experiences that compel you to do the work you do? So I grew up actually... um, I was the son of a of a UAW member in uh, Northeast Iowa. He worked for John Deere for 35 years, and mm. he was also an activist uh, in the union. He was a shop steward, helped defend people who, uh, you know, in the plant, and and um, he was involved in a number of contract organizing campaigns there. Um, and so I I grew up with that as you know that that kind of colored my my um, uh, my experiences as I grew up. And you know the other thing. So, so growing up with my, with my father being an activist in the union, um, the, the 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 other side of that is that in school um, they did not talk about common people making change in the world. They all we ever heard was this, this rich white guy did this, right. this rich white guy did that. That's yeah. all we ever got. Right. And so, um, so that. Um, as I as I, I I was involved in a number of unions myself and organizing campaigns and what have you along the way, but I, I started to realize that there's there are not very many stories out there that 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 talk about working people and what we what we did. And it's amazing, it's, <laughs> not, it's crazy. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So you know, knowing that you had your father had the the, the uh, unionist background, and like you said, you were in class. Were you did, did the history teachers like you at all? <laughs> You know, <laughs> you know what's funny is that, it, and it's precisely because of the way te- uh, history was taught uh, by some of these people. Um, I didn't like history at all, yeah, back then. and yeah. and that's why because and it was until I read Howard Zinn's *The People's History oh, yeah. of the United States* Great and book. other similar books, mm-hmm. those absolutely lit my desire to learn more about history on fire. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's jump into some of the. There's so many amazing. I, I I won't even say stories, but just occurrences that happen in American history. And this is just American history. I, I can only imagine what it would be globally. But it, once you really start to dive into, like, the nuances of American history, it's really mm-hmm. exciting. I mean, I, I think um, classrooms are doing a disservice to the youth because yes. a lot of them don't like history because it just seems so boring. But if they really yeah. understood a lot of the stuff that has gone on and see themselves reflected in it, I think it would be a, a, a definitely a, a totally different um, experience for the kids. Um, Precisely, I, I think that's that's very true. I mean, and one of the things that I'm that I try to to do with this book is to find the stories that um, you know we're we're at a point in in our own in our history in our lifetimes we're at a point in 2018 where um, I think we're going to see a lot more battles mm-hmm. as as, um, as working class people and as uh, poor folks are, are still under attack from, uh, let's say, from Washington D.C. Um, and you know, I mean, look at the at the to get a little bit political here. Look at the look at the recent tax quote unquote cuts. Yeah. Um, you know, they're, they're going to try and take that out of our hide exactly. as, as all of us get older and young people today. 
you know, they may not see a Social Security when they get older. They might may not see a, a Medicare. Exactly. Um, and so, anyway, the, the, one of the reasons I wanted to get this book out now was to capture that spirit of fight back mm-hmm. and, and to capture that spirit of when, in those times, there's several times in American history or even world history, like you said, where um, we, we were up, working people were up against the wall uh, and middle class people up against the wall and they fought back and they, and they were able to, to win. Um, even in, even in some of the cases, in some of the stories in my book, um, the, maybe they didn't win that particular battle. I mean, or some of, some of the stories, honestly, a lot of them are, are quite inspirational. They're all inspirational really, but some of them are a little sad, I have yeah. to say. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but in the end, working people won, even if it took 10 years after the battle that I write about or 15 years, or maybe it changed. Uh, you know, one good example is the, um, a lot of people have heard of the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire yeah. in New York, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that you know the number of young women uh, and some of them even girls um, died and some men as well um, in a fire where they where they closed the fire escapes and 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 the elevator didn't work and um, um, and, and so that actually led ultimately to um, change on a on a huge scale. I mean, it was one of the it was one of the ways that Franklin uh, Roosevelt was able to get. Um, the National Labor Relations Act passed. Yeah. Um, and in fact, one of the women who was involved uh, from the get-go, she was involved in organizing the 100,000 people who marched uh, after these young ladies died in the factory. Um, uh, she went on to work for, for Roosevelt and helped, helped with all that legislation. So, you know, so that's what, 30, 25, 20 years later, after the Triangle Shirtwaist Factory fire, that change actually happened. So it, sometimes it's a long arc. Right. It really is. Yeah, and that was a yeah. great thing I noticed. It's like, Sometimes these struggles are just symbolism, you know, it, it, it creates yeah. that, that, that motivation for, for future generations, you know, yes. it, it creates yes. kind of like a blueprint. Okay, this is what they did. Maybe this is what we have to do now. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that was good. I, I, yeah. I, if, if we can get a little, I just want to talk about some of the stories I thought were interesting. They mm-hmm. was uh, Chicago, Chicago in the late 19th centuries. It seemed like there was oh, yeah. two struggles that were kind of... Within within one decade, um, yes. the the Haymarket Massacre and the Pullman yes. Strike. So I was wondering yes. if, if you could kind of talk about those. Maybe start with uh, the Haymarket Massacre and and what what was all that about and what what led up to that. Um, so the Haymarket Massacre was um, there was an effort to um, uh, to to basically. It cut work work hours back from I believe twelve uh, to less than that, um, and, and it was around Chicago. It was um, a lot of organizers were affiliated with anarchists, with um, uh, let's say socialists, and um, uh, and they produced papers. They had, there was a lot of kind of writing about what they were doing and why they were doing it. Um, and there was a there were a couple of of actions where where they were on strike and you know there was the back and forth that happens frequently during strikes, including um, uh, strike breakers coming in to, to 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 break the strike or to attempt to. Yeah. Well, it, it led ultimately to um, a gathering in one of the central squares in Chicago at the time in Haymarket, and um, uh, somebody threw a bomb. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it killed a number of police and some of the strikers as well. Well, what it was 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 a political excuse for the powers that be mm-hmm. to go around and um, arrest the anarchists, arrest all the people who published any papers that were related to this. Mm. Um, and then they, uh, it was it was it was absolutely a sham trial, and um, they ended up hanging six of these people, six of the workers um, or publishers or both. Uh, um, they, they hung them, and after not establishing at all that they were responsible for it. In fact, the one person who was suspected to be a company plant, um, who who actually they had some evidence that he was the one that threw the bomb. He escaped the country and never came back. So uh, yeah. um, anyway, that was that was a big blow. To the labor movement back then, and it was, but it was also a clear indication that the powers that be will not, will not, um, uh, don't, they won't hesitate to, to throw things out, even if they're fake news, as they call it today, yeah. or, or you know, that they won't hesitate to make it up just to get their point across, just right. to try and silence people. Yeah, that was interesting about that. So that fight was mainly based around just work hours. I mean, the, 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 the work yeah. hours were just. Basically the whole day <laughs> from like sun up to yes. sundown, and and that was just it how was, the ball, yeah. yeah, that was the big 
the big battle there. And then, um, and then Chicago also was, um, this is before that, but, uh, there was a company, George Pullman, yeah. uh, who is the rich, is the rich white guy that formed this company in Chicago that made the sleeping cars that were famous back in the 1800s, early 1900s. That's how people who had a little bit of money would travel is on a train yeah. and the sleeping cars. And so two, two unions that came out of that would be the, the uh, sleeping car porters union, mm-hmm. um, which was which was African American men that they hired, some women to clean the cars, um, but they hired th- this guy. This guy had the nerve to publicly say that he hired African American men to work on those. Uh, I'm sorry, at the, at the time they were formerly enslaved African American mm-hmm. men, and um, he hired them because they would be quote unquote servile, <laughs> <laughs> and. Um, and they turned around 20, 30 years later and formed a union and fought for their rights on the job. Which it's a really good story. That's actually yeah. uh, that's one of the stories in the book that actually has some of the most incredible images that I all the images I found are either public domain or from libraries around the country um, and uh, at universities. And so those images from that particular story are pretty cool. They're they're, they're right. it, it's it, it's it's hard to imagine in our day of being able to shoot to photograph anything you wish back in the time it was a much much harder right yeah Um, we have those yeah that's one thing i forgot to mention to people that this book is filled with great images i mean uh, i think that really helps with the story just to be like wow look at this i can't believe i'm seeing this and actually reading about it at the same time and and just want to touch on some of the stuff when we talk about the hay hay market massacre and also the pullman strike um the thing it was it seemed like a common refrain throughout the book was companies would inflict violence on oh, the yeah. strikers. Oh yeah. I mean, yes, I mean we're talking about violence like snipers, machine guns, even oh, yeah. I don't even know about this bomb. Who even knows if that was a company motivated thing? Is right. do we still kind of see that today in some sense or is that something we don't see it here mm-hmm. we don't see it here in the united states at least not right now it could happen again mm-hmm. uh, especially as as um as middle class working class people get pushed up against the wall i could i could see you know yeah. uh, it, it would be it would be shocking at the same time in other parts of the world today yeah when they folk when folks try to organize unions it happens it right. does happen exactly um, yeah. you know the other the other part of the of the pullman strike was um the factory itself he, this guy had factory towns where he yes. would um give them a place to live yeah and then well, yeah quote unquote give and then pay them in company script, which is not money, which wow. you have to buy from the company stores, that old song about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, um, so yeah, when it was time to organize, when folks wanted to organize a union, he would just take them and throw them out on the street if he heard any words about that, or his right. people would. Um, I, I, one little mm-hmm. anecdote, a little, sorry, no, one little anecdote from, from that story, uh, that was also in Chicago, one little anecdote from that is that, um, oh, sorry, that the other union that was formed from that is the International the Industrial Workers of the World, sorry, right. uh, the IWW, Eugene Debs came from that. Um, but anyway, the anecdote is that at, when he died, when George Bowman died, um, his family actually made arrangements to entomb him deep within the earth, covered by steel and cement, because <laughs> they they were very concerned that that uh, the people that worked for him would come and defile wow. his grave. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's when you know. I mean, when your family yeah. knows, right? <laughs> yes. Wow. Yes. Um, so I mean, it, it, people. I mean, it, there's even. I did a story about in there about the um, the bonus march, which is the World War II, World War One veterans who came back home and they were promised to be paid in some way for mm. for basically giving up their factory jobs and going overseas. Right. So right. so um, um, when that when that went down, the Congress told them you got to wait ten years. Um, or something along those lines to get mm. your money. So this is in the middle of the Great Depression, right? Mm, right. So um, that um, turned into 100,000 100, veterans coming to Washington, D.C. and camping out at the Capitol. They actually formed their own little city there of veterans. They had their own post office. They had their own police force. Um, and they stayed there to try and push for what they knew that they needed. Um and the Woodrow Wilson, who was the president at the time, he actually ordered our own military to route these veterans out of the city. Wow! Look at that. Um, how, how did that? So they, how did that pan out? So two of the of the uh, veterans died in the mm-hmm. ensuing battles and tear gas, and they set fire to their house, to their makeshift houses, and and all of that. Um, and when all that went down, 
Uh, in fact, a number of generals who would become famous in World War II were involved in that um, and didn't really want to go through with it, but they were ordered to by the, by the president, right? Okay. So um, when FDR saw that go down, he said, I've just won the election. <laughs> yeah, he right. did. He was yeah. right. Right, yep. right. And I thought that was an interesting story, too, because I think – uh, what what would be the big lesson for because you know I have I have all the respect for people who go in the military. Um, I might not agree of why they go, but I can understand them just having the courage to do that. Right. What, right. What from that from that um, passage in history? What some of the lessons that someone that's thinking about going in the military or as a veteran can learn from that story about America. That's a good question. I mean, it's it's one. I think one one thing about it is that these veterans were promised yeah. something when they went overseas and gave up their jobs in the factories here. And yeah, when they came back, they were told, "Oh, uh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> tough. Um, that you're not going to get it for a while if you get it at all." And and uh, again, remember that was in the middle of the Great Depression, the Great Depression. so yeah. jobs were scarce, food was scarce. I mean, all of it. And these were people who went and served their country, exactly. as the phrase goes. Yeah. They went and served their country overseas and saw some. You know, that was that was when they started using the term shell shock way back mm, then. Right. Um, they saw some they saw some action, they saw some some things happen. And yeah, when they came back they were basically slapped in the face mm, <laughs> by our own government. So I, I think there's a trust issue right uh there that that people should be aware of. Right. Um they don't oh despite the fact that people wave the flag um when things happen and when we go to war, it's it's you know, getting your rights when you come back, getting what you're entitled to when you come back is a struggle. Yeah. We're going to stop right here and take a quick break, and we'll be right back. Here we go, y'all. Here we go. Here we go, y'all. Go. Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Go. They say we living in a generation that's full of gentrification Agenda-based agendas, a genuine indication Thinking back and forth about who controls the premises But it's all stolen land from the native people indigenous The remnants of irreverent is irrelevant They justify the why through cinematic embellishments Then we let elitists mislead us The buffer turn working class whites against all people of color We suffer the same affliction through economic restriction Focus on skin tone where they pockets have since grown It's known the black and white concept is just a myth Until they get profit from it, race didn't exist from the current face of a felon to the state that we fell in To the fabrication and bait at the Bacon's Rebellion It was telling, they won't stop till the spectrum is stretched Do we see ourselves as one we can never progress? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? Can I kick it? I think something interesting you said earlier was You were talking a little bit about company towns, right? Mm -hmm. And I can definitely see that as a disadvantage Because the company is the one that's responsible for giving you some form of monetary compensation. It almost mm -hmm. looked like to when I was, when I was learning about it, it almost seemed like indentured servitude in a sense. Oh, yeah. I'm not sure if Definitely. we still have that here in America, but I feel like in the global south mainly, a lot of multinationals set up these like enterprising export zones where the laws yes. are totally different than the country yes. and they keep the people yes. there. So, is this kind yes. of the same thing that we're seeing? It kind of is. I mean, in, in it, in it, you know. Hey, back then it was basically raw capitalism, and uh, and it was not tempered by much of anything um, that was social good related. So, yeah, I mean, it's happening right now in some of the countries that don't have labor laws or that that assassinate labor leaders who are trying to get things changed. Um, yeah, they got people. Even in, uh, I think Foxconn is the one. I think. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, right. That that has they, they they house people you know twenty thirty fifty to a small room and that's what the apple they, they were apple right that's the apples yeah. you manufacture yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. that's correct um, and they, they even they put safe they put nets around the factories to keep people from killing themselves wow. they're from they're working so much it's still like that yeah I mean it, the 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 things that we went through a while ago let's say seventy five a hundred years ago are going on in other parts of the world and wow. I think the only thing that'll solve that is uh, union organizing on a, on a global scale. Yeah, yeah. And um, when we when we were talking about the Pullman strike, um, 
it, it, this book is uh, it seems it's a lot around labor struggles. It's a lot around classism. And as I was reading about the Pullman strike, I was trying to know that, you know, during that era, there was overt racism. You know, was there alliance oh, yeah. between the Brotherhood of Sleeping Cars and the rest of the Pullman strikers? Or, or basically, what, what was the true fight against classism or did racism still get in the way during that those kind of movements? I, I think during that time, racism still was in the way. Yeah, I mean, there was yeah. there was um uh, th- there was a beginning of the uniting of the of the working class. Um, the, uh, all people of all races that worked for Pullman began to unite around. I mean, the IWW was a union that actually helped make that happen. They, mm-hmm. they saw they saw um, everybody who who worked at a particular place, or for that matter, the entire working class, as as solid as one as as brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. I mean, keep in mind that was even before it wasn't that before before women had the right to vote, right? Yeah. So. Um, so women also played a role. Now, now speaking of that, I've actually got a couple of really good. Uh, the, the the very first chapter in the in this is about um, seamstresses up in Massachusetts in eighteen the the, the exact date escapes me, but eighteen thirties mm-hmm. who formed a union um, because they were, you know, they it, it's it was it was a time when they only hired girls. Really, it wasn't even women largely um, girls to work in the factories and, and they, you know, they saw the, the opportunity to, to fight for something better and they did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it, even in, well, even with the Pullman strike, I mean, you have 90 some percent of the, of the Pullman porters were men, yeah. African American men. Um, and just a few, there were none that were women and, and the ones, the women that did work the trains were um, housekeepers basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but even back then, and even still, all the way to today, they, the, I, honestly, the ruling class will use uh, ways to divide us against us. They will yeah. use racism. They'll use sexism. They'll use uh, homophobia. All of it to divide us. Absolutely. And, and I think another thing w- throughout the book is that um, some of these unions were small unions, right? And and yes. and um, it's kind of a cautionary tale in a sense, like. Um, you know, the big official labor unions somehow sometimes didn't weren't proactive or genuinely supported the the union members. So knowing right. like small unions, I think like the American Railroad Union, they, they mm-hmm. were effective in organizing. Like what can unions today that aren't these big official unions, what, what, what can small unions do against like wildcat strikes? What is something that they can learn from? From from this book in regards to uh, fledgling unions and, and organization. So we we saw you know just very recently we saw in West Virginia the teachers. Um, right. Uh, I thought that was a great lesson for everybody going forward. Um, they when they got together and said no, we've had enough. We're 49th in the nation in terms of teacher pay and and, and benefits and other uh, things that they fought for. Um, and and when they got halfway there and the company uh, sorry the the state and the and the um union leadership uh, the union officialdom agreed um on a lower a lower uh settlement uh, and 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 the teachers got together and said no we're staying out we're still going to be out tomorrow on strike and they were so that was a wildcat that's what's yeah. called a wildcat which is when union members decide no we're taking this into our own hands and and the rest of you whatever <laughs> yeah we'll talk i mean that's um, a bold that's a bold thing but it's definitely important it is yeah it's bold. It's very bold, and it's um sometimes that's necessary. Absolutely. Sometimes union officials um can officials can get, let's say, um, mired in in. I mean, I don't get too much into that kind of thing in yeah. my book. I mean, the the idea was to tell working people stories, not people who go into either either leadership positions or into, uh, you know, government or whatever. Um. So anyway, that the the I think one of the lessons of, that you asked uh, smaller unions or smaller groups of people. You know, look, it's happening at, for example, with the Fight for 15. Yeah. One, one of the final chapters in my book is, is about the Fight for 15. These are people that are gathering in, in fast food restaurants and other minimum wage jobs and, and demanding better. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're doing it sometimes on their own without, without anybody. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and they just, they either walk out or they, or they wage a campaign or they wear, you know, wear, wear t-shirts, for example, or, or any number of ways they can, use to try and get their point across is that there, they deserve better than that. Is there anything that makes the fight for 15 in the union different from uh, labor struggles or labor movements in the past? Um, 
there are a few things, and one is, I mean, it's notoriously hard to to organize among especially minimum wage workers and most especially fast food workers because it's such a um, it's a job that is really easy to leave and, re- and really it's very simple to move on to something else from yeah. there. Um, and so a lot of people are transitory. They, they very they very much. They're not so. So the difference between that and some of the union organizing, uh, like for example, the um, I got a couple chapters on the UAW in the middle of the book, um, and and the difference between that and today is um, these people who worked in those factories stayed in those factories because they were good jobs and there was nothing else around. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you couldn't really move on easily uh, from that. Um, but the other thing, honestly, is that, is that. When you hit, say, the 40s and 50s after the UAW um, got their organizing in gear and, and, and got shops all around the country, um, those jobs were good middle-class jobs that mm-hmm. paid well, that had good benefits. You could you could retire from there with a pension. You could get an education while you worked there. You could get a degree if you wanted to, and it was basically no cost. Mm-hmm. Um and you were compensated well. My father was one of them mm-hmm. who, who worked for jo- in a job like that. And um, that was then. And the, the, what we have now is, you know, the, the, the primary employers around the country, primary is Walmart. Oh, you I know? see. <laughs> so if I, was people... to, if I was to compare what you're talking about yesteryear versus today, that would be like people working at Facebook going on strike, right? Good paying job. Right. Uh, right. and, and so forth, you can make a living. You or can really Google. build a yep. uh, Google. Yep. You can make a, a and make a living and support generations. Yep. But today, yep. with the fight for t- fifteen, these jobs are like you said, more transient, not really skilled uh, labor in a sense. So and right. and it's hard for it's and it's hard for I I don't know. Are unions really trying to help them in a sense, or is it just the people themselves that to form a union? Are there any unions well, trying to reach out? There are some, um, uh, for example, in the publishing world, which I've spent some time in, um, the National um, National Writers Guild East has been doing a great job of organizing in that in the writing slash publishing sector mm. online. Um, they they've won a number of campaigns recently at some of the big publishers, and they're they're still they're still um, they're still going forward. Um, I think Think Progress is their most recent victory, where they organize the writing staff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so these are these are great campaigns. These are these are the modern equivalents, like you said. These are good, likely good middle class um, yeah. incomes um, and with decent benefits. I mean, some of these companies even consider themselves progressive, mm-hmm. um, and, and yet some of them have fought um, unionization. Right. Um, but but the writers, I have to say, the, the National Writers Guild East is doing a great job of organizing those people, and that that would be somewhat the modern equivalent of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. And but smaller. I mean, when when the UAW organized the River Rouge plant uh, in the 30s in in Dearborn, Michigan, they got 9,000 people that work there, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a little different. Mm-hmm. It's a little different. Yeah. Because um, Think Progress probably has a staff of, what, 20 or 30 or something like that oh, wow, versus yeah. versus that. But anyway. Yeah. So so beyond the strikers' demands for, you know, in the fight, in the fight for 15 in the union, uh, why are our victories from these unions that support, you know, th- this labor movement significant? What, what, what will these victories symbolize, if anything? Um, I think, well, number one, you're, we're seeing already, we're seeing last year, the actually union membership increased, Mm. um, for the first time in a long time. It's, it's gone from a historic high of in the fifties of, I think 34, 35% down to 11%, depending on, depending on what sources you look at. Um, but the other thing is that the, the generations that are coming up now, what they call the millennial generation and the one after that, the younger ones than that. Um, those folks are actually, when you survey them, they're largely in favor of unions because, because guess what? When the recession hit, our oh, recession, right. yeah. uh, when that hit, these pe- these young people suddenly went from, I've got a damn good shot at, at doing better than my parents did. And that was always what, what people tried to do. Right. Yeah. And, um, and, and they went from that to they're not even going to be able to buy a house and they got to live with their parents until mm. they're 30 right. or 35. Yeah. That does not, that, that doesn't, um, bode well for, for the, the employers that some of them are working for. Um, 
because you don't you no longer have that loyalty that I'll spend 35 years here That's like correct. my father did yeah. and retire and give you my best and you give me your best right you give me a good a good fair exchange here for yeah. my work that's like a thing of the class definitely <laughs> yes yes yeah. yes um so yeah i mean i think um i think that's a big reason why younger generations support unions i mean one one job we have is old timers and myself is, is in that bunch um but the old timers we need to convey to young people i think why unions matter, why right. this is important to your future, why it's a pocketbook issue. Right. Um, it's, but it's also, it's beyond pocketbook. It's also rights in the job, the right to to um, uh, maybe have a little bit of a say in your working conditions or, yeah. or you know, even your start time stop, you know, all that kind of stuff yeah. is part of what being in a union can, can influence. Right. And I think another great thing about this book, I was talking to a friend and they work in nursing and it seems like they don't like their union. And I'm reading this book and I'm like, Form your own union. <laughs> yes, have a yes, wildcat or, strike. Don't. You're yeah, like, well, they're taking all these dues out of our out for the union. I'm like, yeah. well, then you really need to fight against them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, and it's 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 also it's it's we are the union. The, the members are right. the union. So if they don't like theirs, they should get involved in their union and make some changes. Maybe right. get rid of some of the people they don't they don't think are doing the right job. I mean, you can do that. Right. You can do that. Right. We'll be right back. So what the fuck are we supposed to do? What the fuck are we supposed to do? Don't even have a rope to hold on to. So what the fuck are we supposed to do? Come on, come on. No way out for us to make that move. So what the fuck are we supposed to do? What the fuck are we supposed to do? Tell me what are we supposed to do? While these motherfuckers pop bottles, I'm taking pop bottles back into the store so I can get some top ramen. What the fuck they know about that rock bottom? Everyone I know is feeling downtrodden. Everyone I know is thought about robbing. I'm not talking about a stick up, uh. I'm talking lifting up that drawer before that afternoon pickup. Shattering that tax bracket, you sick of on some get up, get out and get something. Shit, come on. The mind wanders when you're poverty stricken. And only hope you're holding on to is a lottery ticket Yeah, bills piling up so don't see you smiling much Stop thinking of some violent stuff Like, um, why the fuck don't I just get a pint of rum And not and tuck it in between my teeth and say goodbye, I'm done Economy is down and suicides are up We'd rather die by a gun than let this world be the death so of us what the fuck are we supposed to do? What the fuck are we supposed to do? Don't even have a rope to hold on to So what the fuck are we supposed to do? Come on, come on No way out for us to make that move So what the fuck are we supposed to do? I think an interesting part in the book was um, uh, Eugene Debs, right? Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, he was once a member of the Socialist Party um, Yes. Which was a powerful third party here in the U.S. And I, yes. in the book, you talked about how you ran for president multiple times and garnered millions of votes. If, if more people today knew there used to be a powerful socialist party whose stance challenged the status quo, do you think yes. a third party would be a valuable option today? It's possible. I, I haven't. I haven't really. I haven't really decided on that because um, when you see some of the divisions that we saw in the last election, well, mm-hmm. then you see the results. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so sometimes I think when in Debs' case, when he ran, uh, the last time he ran, he was he ran from prison and got millions of votes from right, prison. Right. Yeah. Um, and um, in Debs' case, he held up a flag, much like Bernie Sanders did right. um, in the last election cycle. A flag that said, "This is what we can aspire to. This is who we can be. We can mm-hmm. have uh, Medicaid, Medicare for all. We can have um, an increase in minimum wage. We can fight for those things, and we can get them." Mm-hmm. And that, to me, is a so much better vision of where our country can be than, uh, well, I'll just say it: the the current Democratic Party is not doing a very good job of of putting up a flag and saying this is who we are and this is who what we stand for yeah um other than other than you know some of them are in wall street's pocket right um but but that's what debs did really well he held up the flag and said this is who we this is what we stand for this is who we are Mm -hmm. and we will change the world and and damn it they did a good job of at least getting there and they pulled the democratic party much more to the left 
when Debs uh, was was when Debs ran the several times that he ran, they did that just like Bernie Sanders. Right. You saw exactly. you saw yeah. you saw Hillary Clinton's uh, <laughs> policies move toward the left when Bernie started putting that stuff out there. Absolutely. Yep. I think um, yeah. I think the thing that was funny, like you said, he ran from prison. I can't even imagine that today. Can you imagine a candidate? <laughs> that would be the day, right? That would be the. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine the current uh, resident, you know, at the White House going to prison. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Imagine that. Hey, if you're enjoying Book Speaks Beyond, do us a big favor. Go inside any of our show notes of any of our episodes, and you'll see an icon. That would take you to iTunes, where you could subscribe, rate, and leave a review. There, there's another section of the book which I thought was um, was very interesting. You were talking about the United Farmers, and yes. um, if you could talk about what that movement was all about, what it was, and what sparked it. Yes. Well, um, the, the the growing the the, the fields in California. And um, I, I believe Colorado is the other state that was involved. Um, but yeah, farm workers were notoriously hard to organize as well because of the nature of the work. You know, it's it's several months here and several months there, so you move on. Mm-hmm. Um, but Dolores Huerta, and there was a recent PBS special about her, um, uh, was one of the early um, early leaders of of that movement. She worked with Cesar Chavez and um, and some other folks. There's a Sorry, his name escapes me, but there was there was another one, another individual involved that pulled that together and got farm workers to um, organize the fields. I mean, it was really difficult work, and the toxins that were used as pesticides back then were harmful mm. to people, and they yeah. knew that um, the farm, the, the the companies knew that. Um, so when they pulled that together, you know, they successfully. I don't know if you if you were have read about it, but the, the great boycott of the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, they actually pulled that off on a national scale. I was, you know, I was the the son of son of working class parents, and um, when when we would go to the grocery store to get food, um, we knew, without even asking, we knew no grapes. Oh, grapes. wow, yeah. Yeah. Um, and that went on for, I can't, I can't recall the time period exactly, but um, that went on long enough that um, it was successful. It forced the growers to um, concede some demands, including just basically there was a basic set of demands that the farm workers were asking for, including dignity, including health care, you know, just some simple things that uh, we until recently we have taken for granted in this country. Um, and they won. I mean, they won because they, they united people around the country, not just in their habits of buying things from the store, but they also got in front of union meetings around the country, union, other union members, and talked about it. They also had uh, President, I'm sorry, presidential candidate Robert Kennedy came and mm. supported them as well. When's the last time you saw yeah. a presidential can- candidate do something like that, mm, right? Yeah. yeah, who knows? <laughs> yeah. I mean, San- Sanders would have been the yeah, I think so. most recent one, but aside from that, no. aside from him. Right. Yeah. So, um, so do you, can something like that happen today? Can you can? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, have, yeah. have we seen anything like yeah. that? The, 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 the last thing I've heard was um, I forgot the growers around tomatoes, the mockley workers. Uh, when yes. Come, down in Florida. Yes. But that's yes, not. That, they, is, <laughs> yeah. Is that kind of like this, but not on a national scale? Not the not the same exposure? Correct. Mm. Correct. But some of it did go national with them. They actually um, managed to pressure fast food companies mm, into not right. into into buying uh, fair, fairly grown tomatoes, you know, comp- people, the people who work in those, in those fields had to be fairly compensated. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, they pressured some of the fest. The only one that didn't, that didn't agree is Wendy's. So, you know, uh. who to not shop from, right. <laughs> um, um, so I mean, but it works. And, and even you, you see in social media, these kids, I think social media is actually going to present a great opportunities for even more of that because yeah. these came, I mean, when, when Oreo cookie, um, closed some plants in Chicago and moved them, I believe to Mexico, but out of the country anyway, um, there was a big, big campaign to try to get people to, I, I don't, I haven't bought Oreo since myself. <laughs> yeah. Hydrox is a very good alternative. Right. And, um, <laughs> you know, and so these, these things actually have the potential to catch fire in social media and spread quickly. You right. know, it's it's social media can can offer the opportunity as long as it's fact checked. Right, that's true. Um, uh, yeah, there's that. So because uh, sometimes there's people people go nuts about uh, something going on and it turns out it was fake news. Right. Um, 
honestly, it's uh, <laughs> it, it happens, and, and we can fight that though by by sourcing by whatever sourcing. we put out there. Right. But yeah, it can overnight. Look, the uh, the women's march in, in Washington, exactly uh, the yeah. weekend after the inauguration, um, that was organized by that started by one young woman who um, had the idea. She put it out there in her circles on social media, and the next morning she had 10,000 people responded already, and that grew to hundreds of thousands, right? So yeah. it, it does happen. I can only imagine, like you said, that the kids that were born during the – or who kind of grew up during the recession and the kids beyond started to understand the importance of unions and with the technology that's in their hands. Oh, it, yeah. Oh, it's going to be a different world. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I think something interesting about the United Farm Workers – um, one thing I kind of took away, and maybe you can expound on this, was the importance of solidarity, the advantages yeah. that gave the, the, the strikers and the disadvantages that gave the companies that were being striked. Can you talk about that? Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think the, the closing quote from the, the – I did a chapter on the uh, Watsonville cannery workers who were largely Latino women, um, and um, those – at the end of that, one of the individuals um, – was interviewed in another book said, you know, it wasn't a matter of even thinking about crossing that picket line and going against your mm. former your 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 coworkers who were on strike. Um, it wasn't even it wasn't even a possibility because then everywhere you go in town, people look at you from from through that lens, right? Mm. They look at you as a strike breaker. They look at you as what's called a scab, yeah. a strike breaker. Um, and so socially as well as economically. Um, these people had to, they had to, I mean, a lot of these were, you know, single mothers um, uh, who who had to figure out how to fend as it was working right. for a cannery in, in Watsonville, California. So when the strike hit, they, of course, didn't have a lot of resources to, to depend on. So they had to even more develop that solidarity to to uh, cook together in a large group so you could make it inexpensive, right? So, yeah. So and and to be able to pull from resources like that to make it work, to be able to survive, to be able to get by another day, um, with the help of each other. Right, and that's a big dif- disadvantage to the companies because that just strings uh, puts a strain yes. on their expenses just to just yes. to try to make it through the strike, right? Yes, and then the social pressure honestly works. I mean, it, yes. The, at the end, the end of that strike, the the workers at the canneries, um, when it was reaching the end, this is another one where there was a wildcat. They actually, um, the union that w- that was representing them, negotiated a contract that was substandard and did not include the health benefits that they needed. So um, they said, "We're staying out. We're not going back to the to the cannery." What they did was very soon after was. Um, similar to what Cesar Chavez and the farm workers did years before, which is um, uh, I can't pronounce the word, but sorry, it's like a it was like a, a sojourn, like a walk. They they went down downtown in Watsonville and they would crawl on their knees, um, and their coworkers would put would grab rugs and carpets and put them in front of them so they don't tear their knees up, obviously. Wow. But they did that all the way to the church. To the church. Of the owners of the companies. Oh, that has and, to be embarrassing, huh? Oh, my gosh, yeah. When <laughs> you put that kind of pressure on socially on these people, on these people that are breaking uh, breaking workers' rights and trying to keep them from getting basic benefits and, yeah. and wages, yeah. then they can't. They do give. Wow. At some point, they give. That That's incredible. That's the point. If people out there are listening, go to your boss's place of worship. <laughs> that's that's big social pressure. You're in a place where you're it trying is. to. It's all about ethics and morals, and here come the people. Oh wow, yeah, that's yes. that's incredible. We'll be right back. If the lights go off, yeah, watch it all change. If the lights go off, let's see if you like a ball. If the lights go off, no Apple or Microsoft. If the lights go off, they might say it's a solar flare. If the lights go off, but hold on, we almost there. If the lights go off, it's only fortunate for some. If the lights go off, so I hope you got a gun. When the lights go off, yeah, it's freezing cold and you gotta pay to heat your home. Why feed the poor when you can sell them GMOs? Everything we eat is cloned, sterilized seeds are sown. Before the harvest, farmers gotta sign the lease to grow. They locking people up for growing green at home. Can't collect rainwater, that's against the legal code. Seems evil, so I'm waiting for Winnie and Peter. Let my people go for sure, cause they don't want to see him free. During protests, the only time that they appear fast. Tanks and dogs, rubber bullets and tear gas. I hope it gets so dark they can't see through that clear mass. This is Molotov music coming out the beer glass. We came first, so you know that we'll be here last. And if you learned anything from the near past, 
to burn the whole city down until it's mere ash. So get ready when you hear blast. Yeah. Oh, please turn off. I think that's what they said, One thing about the, the, the United Farmers I started to get in my head, when I think about that kind of work today, I'm thinking of a lot of a lot of immigrants, a lot of undocumented workers. Is, yeah. is there any role today with unions? Do they have any responsibility to undocumented workers that work in those situations? How does that work? I would say I would say yes, because that's actually such a um, that that kind of thing is so working in, in an environment where there's a lot of fellow undocumented uh, workers, um, that opens the door to employer abuse in a major way because, mm. I mean, any employer, basically, hey, you get paid whatever the heck I say you should get paid, and, right. uh, and you know, if you don't, then here comes ICE, right? So right. Um, that is all, that's all hand-in-hand. Hand. It's very, it's similar to what we talked about earlier, which is uh, using racism and sexism all to right. divide yeah. workers. This, too, that's a way to divide workers further. I mean, and and I just in fact I just um, off my Facebook page um uh it's it's face it's Brandon dot Brandon dot I'm sorry Facebook uh, Brandon dot Weber dot author um that page I just just the other day I put up uh, an image of uh, tomato fields huge massive tomato fields that you can't even see the end of down in Florida um, and the tomatoes are rotting off the vine because guess what? They can't find ah, undocumented workers right. to come work those fields because you know they're, that's associated now with um, exactly. with with ICE coming in and arresting people, including taking children away from their parents. Mm. So um, that's what's happening, and um, uh, that's happening. If, if you Google just really quickly, Google um, uh, farm fields. Uh, undocumented workers, you know, or farm fields rotting, you know, that kind of thing. It's happening around the country. It's going to happen more this summer by far because um, people are afraid to afraid to come and take these jobs. And guess what? The folks who, let's say, used to have a good industrial job in Indiana are not going to do those jobs. Yeah. They're too backbreaking, too right. hard to do. There's right. no way. Right. Um, so these things are happening right now in our country because of the policies against undocumented immigrants so um, unions do have a responsibility with that yes. I mean, that yeah wow yes. yeah and, and then you mentioned something else when when it, you could do the book and just maybe watching tv if you see strikes what it, what it, what is your feelings around strike bakers or what union people refer to as scabs should scabs be scabs. should scabs be ridiculed or is it just a part of doing business in this kind of society yeah it's a good question i i Jack London uh, has a great quote about scabs that that right now escapes me, but it has something to do with how vile they are. Mm. <laughs> um, and I do understand that some people some people say, "Well, I need to make a living. I got to pay my bills. I got right. kids to support. So I'm going to break. I'm going to cross the picket line." But that undermines entirely the solidarity of those people, and it doesn't ultimately lead to better work for anybody. In fact, it leads to a race to the bottom. Right. Um, um, so I mean, you know, it's a. Uh, these are the kinds of confrontations that you, you asked earlier about when people died on the picket lines, for example. That stuff happens when companies try to use scabs to cross yeah. and break the union. That yeah. happens. So, so, you know, doing your work that you do and writing this book has it kind of changed you in any way? Um, yeah, I mean, so I used to think I knew. A lot about union history, like you working people history, and you know I've read a lot of books. Like I said, Zen was one of the one mm -hmm. of a big influence on me. Um, but I, I I and I heard some of these stories. Um, there's four stories about things that happened in the state of Michigan in that book. Um, uh, and um, I live in Michigan, and so it, it makes me more aware of these kinds of stories and, and what working people have gone through. I knew some of these stories. I'd say half the stories in the book I had some sort of frame of reference for, mm -hmm. and the other half I hadn't heard of before. And so until I started researching and finding 
these incredible, incredibly powerful stories mm-hmm. uh, from history that have that are not told. I mean, I think again re- regarding the state of Michigan, I think Wayne State University is one of the few that still has a labor studies, labor history program. But oh, there's wow. not very much of this out there. Anymore. Right. There's yeah. not much at all. Um, and and I'd like to see more of this get out there. I'd like to see more more people uh, understand what we went through over right. the years. And uh, if this if this book continues to be successful. Then there, I've already got 28 chapters lined up for the. I haven't written them, but I've got the ideas for them already for the next book. Because um, nice. there's so much more out there. I mean, there, you know, this isn't even touching on some of the other stories, uh, including what what we did to Native Americans in this country. Oh yeah, um, I know. There's a there's some massive stories out there. They're incredibly powerful and very very. There's a lot of lessons to be learned from them, uh, but they're not like again. They're not as frequently told. History is often told from the yeah. Point of view of the the victors and and the the, the ruling class. Right. So, I think the incredible. Yeah. If this book was like in other languages, I think other countries outside America globally, oh, yeah. if they read yeah. these, they'd be like, "This is what's going on right now." Yeah. <laughs> you know, like this is. Yeah. That's an interesting idea. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it, it, I think you kind of touched on this, but I just want to make sure I get it clearly. What do you want re- readers to mainly take away from this book? Um. Mainly it's the it's the fight back spirit. Mainly it's the we don't have to accept that we're going to be beat down and there's nothing we can do about it and and uh, I'm going to go to my fourth job now. You know, yeah, right. <laughs> we don't have to accept that. We can fight that and we can get we can working people can get what they deserve and get a decent living out of it. I mean, there's a, whenever the conversation comes up on, for example, minimum wage. You know, when FDR he was the one that the architect of the minimum wage and, and he made it clear it was designed for people to be able to live on, not mm, right. something to pay bills. And people under the misimpression that minimum wage is only for uh, college students or people fresh out of high school or people just getting their start. There are people that have to stay at those jobs because there's nothing else. There's when nothing Walmart else. comes to right. town, right. When, when Walmart comes to town and shuts everything else, all the other mom and pop stores down. Yeah. Um, and they're paying minimum wage. They're actually they pay. They're they're. It gets to a point where people that work there have to depend on uh, handouts, as they right. call them, or, right. or you know welfare and whatever. Um, that that means there's nothing else in town for them to be able to do. Right. So um, we what what I think one of the big things that, uh, that I think can be taken from this book is we don't have to accept these things. We can change it. We can make changes in the world if we get together and do it as a group. Yeah. And I want to say thank you so much for writing this book. And I think it was genius to also have the pictures in the book just to keep, okay. keep, keep everybody's attention at the same time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you brought up a good point about minimum wage. I, I think a, a what I, I'm really big into uh, the words that are used. Instead of minimum wage, they should call it living wage. That should be the new name. Yes, living wage. That yes. would create people yes. in people's mind. Okay, this is they said this is called living. I'm not living right, but minimum kind of takes yes. away from what it really should be. That's true. So I like that. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, Brandon Wimber, yeah. I want to say thank you so much for being on Book Speeds and Beyond. Thank you very much for asking me to come on. If you want to purchase the book or any of the music, I've included links in the show notes. Or you could just go to booksbeatsandbeyond.com. And, you know, what's cool is by clicking on the links, you support the guests, the music artists, and uh, we get a small commission, which is no extra cost to you, which we would then put toward the operations of this show. Um, And also, please click on the iTunes link to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And if you do this stuff already, just want to say thank you so much for your support. Remember, let's read, listen, explore. <laughs>